2 Kings 2. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha went on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you, because I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And he said to him, Behold now, there are with your, your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up 
and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. Then he said, they sent therefore 50 men and for three days sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho and said to him, did I not say to you, do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the springs of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! And he turned around. And when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he turned to Samaria. Till so far, the reading of Scripture. Then we'll read together Lord's Day 31. You can find it on page 546 and following of your book of praise. Lord, say 31. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's marriage as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life, are first repeatedly admonished, in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. 
if they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show a real amendment. That was the summary of scripture about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In response to the gospel, we will sing as our Amen song, Psalm 139, the verses 10 and 13. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at Vatican, St. Peter loses his keys. I found this little snippet in one of the newspapers. Vatican authorities were searching for the left hand, the one holding the keys, of a 13th century marble statue of the Apostle of the St. Peter's Basilica after the hand and the keys mysteriously vanished. And as you probably can imagine, the loss is a setback for the Roman Church. After all, the Roman Church grants Peter a special authority an authority that outshines the authority of the other apostles. In their opinion, Peter has the keys, and thus he has the power to make a decision about the entrance into life eternal. It is the authority the Pope, as the successor of Peter, still has according to their ideas. For as they argue, the sole church is at which our Savior entrusted to Peter's pastoral care, and this church is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. Peter and the successor, the Pope, are the doorkeeper of the entrance to heaven. And of course, it is undeniable true that the Lord Jesus entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you, that is you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But Peter is not the only one who has received these keys. He is the first one, that's true. As the first, he came forward from the circle of disciples with his outstanding confession. 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in this confession of Peter, that will have a key position in the kingdom of heaven, no one will enter the kingdom without this Christ having been proclaimed. And this preaching must have been accepted in faith. The proclamation of this message has to be protected. And the believers have to be protected. And it is for this reason that the Lord has entrusted the keys of his kingdom to his church. The citizens of his kingdom. They are people who are of the opinion that the discipline of the church is not the most beautiful side of the church. But remember, brothers and sisters, as soon as we talk about discipline, we are not talking about a kind of punishment. On the contrary, the discipline is meant to protect the work of Christ regarding our deliverance. And the Harbour Catechism correctly deals with the discipline of the church, the keys of the kingdom. In the second part of the Catechism, our deliverance. It is about how we are delivered from all our sins and misery by Christ. And it is for this reason that the Lord protects the people of his kingdom, the church, so that we may share in the deliverance given by Christ. And therefore I may summarize the message of Scripture as we found in Lord's Day 31. The Lord protects the deliverance of the citizens of his kingdom with the keys of that kingdom. And I'd like to point to the might of the king, the first aspect we will see. I'd like to point to the happiness of the subjects, the second aspect we will see. And I'd like to point to the closing of the borders, the third aspect we will see. In short, the Lord protects the deliverance of the citizens of his kingdom with the keys of that kingdom. And we look at the might of the king and the happiness of the subjects and the closing of the borders. Brothers and sisters, if I would ask you, where is the kingdom of heaven? How would you reply? Some would say, silly question. The kingdom of heaven is there, in heaven, of course. Someone else would answer, the kingdom of heaven is still coming. That kingdom comes when our Lord Jesus Christ returns and we all go to heaven. Well, both thoughts are not correct. Rather, they are not complete. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom that will be there only in the future. Or the realm that is only in heaven at present. No, it is the kingdom that comes down from heaven, that originates from heaven. 
It is God's realm that is established on earth from heaven. And that kingdom is a totally new situation that God will bring to pass on earth. It is a region on earth where God gives his peace. His kingdom is everywhere where his power and might are acknowledged. You could say, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus Christ, the king, rules. And in order to understand this, we have to go back to paradise. God had made the world, and man was the crown of his creation. The whole world was God's kingdom. God's rule and his rights as king were acknowledged everywhere. And as you know, this has changed. As a result of a hostile attack upon that beautiful kingdom, there was a serpent who was Satan's shock attack unit. As successful he was too. And the result, God's sovereignty here on earth is no longer recognized. The world falls under God's wrath. In a world without God, there is no future. Life on earth is only governed by death. What does the Lord do then? Immediately after that palace revolution in paradise, he comes with his promise. I will bring this seemingly successful attack to nothing. My mouth will once again be acknowledged everywhere. And in his grace, the Lord now works towards that end from the time of the fall into sin onwards. He is the king of heaven and earth. He has the right to be acknowledged as such. But the evil one has robbed from him. He will return unto himself. And how will the Lord do that? The Lord does that through his words. Moses was already allowed to pass this information on to the people. The Israelites were not allowed to listen to soothsayers. They were not allowed to consult those who were familiar with spirits. It is an abomination to the Lord. Because the Canaanites had done so, the Lord destroyed those nations. The Lord will give his people a prophet. And they have to listen to him. And God will ask all those who do not want to listen to those words to give an account of their actions. And this means that he will punish them because of their disobedience. And the Lord does that in his grace. We must add these words. If dependent on man, nothing would come ever come of it. Man doesn't want his deliverance. This is very apparent. Elijah the prophet is filled with despair when faced with this fact. 
But Elijah is encouraged by the fact that the word of God has not finished its work among God's people. He receives a worthy successor in the form of Elisha. He will continue speaking the word of the Lord as his prophet. God's cause in this world will not end in a failure. The service of the prophets is guaranteed to continue. We have read how Elijah was appointed. He picks up the cloak, the mantle, which had fallen from Elijah from his ascension into heaven. And Elijah also struck the water with that mantle. And at the same time, he called out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? The God of Elijah had to make Elijah's crossing possible. And in so doing, it is understood that he must also make Elijah's work possible. And in this way, Elijah receives uh, his authorization papers, proving that he is the prophet of the Lord among the people. Together with that word that he brings, God asks for a listening ear. And by listening to that word, there is deliverance. But those who do not listen will be struck by the same words. In short, this Elijah cannot bring about deliverance through his prophetic service. To this end, the Lord comes to the fulfillment of his promises in his son Jesus Christ. Of him, God says that he is the truth and the life. Listen to him. In him I've brought my kingdom to you. He is your greatest prophet and teacher. And we know that Christ's ascension proved that he has all power in heaven and on earth. From the hand of his father, he has received the keys to the kingdom of his father. He is the holy one. The true one who has received the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. And therefore he has the power to open or close the kingdom of his father. He takes up the key position. Well then, Christ gave this power to his disciples before his ascension into heaven. He wants to save people on earth. He will already establish his kingdom on earth. And he, his, he gives his disciples the authority to open up the way to the treasures of the kingdom and to publicly declare that Jesus is the Christ, the risen one, the son of the living God. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus assures Peter and the other disciples that when they, weak people that they are, go to preach that gospel on earth, their word will be valid in heaven before the throne of God. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord Jesus means to say that in this power, 
we are not dealing with the opinions of people. It is not people who will determine who will and will not enter the kingdom and receive asylum. Binding and losing, it is to make known the salvation of God in the forgiveness of sins and to make known the way of life through faith in Christ. And this with authority. The human word with the office bearers speak on earth and which Christ has as its contents is the word of God himself. And in that gospel word, God addresses you, as it were, face to face. He speaks to you as the great prophet from his throne in heaven. Also when he makes use of the service of weak people. And therefore the preaching of the gospel or the exercising of church discipline both mean that the entrance to God's kingdom rests in the power of our King Jesus and in the word which he causes to be preached. A faithful church and pastor are called to proclaim the full counsel or will of God. And people in the Reformed tradition generally understand the full counsel of God to mean that the so-called deeper things like predestination, election, reprobation, free will, and so on, must be preached. And this is true. But it also means that the church must warn the wicked that unless they repent, they will pay the price when they perish. And the church has no choice in the matter. From Sunday to Sunday, she must not only preach salvation, but she also must pronounce judgment. They must warn people that they are to repent or else. The Apostle Paul already warned Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And also the danger. A preacher is not to be a man pleaser. But says Paul. To preach the words. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Within the church, sinners have to be called to Jesus. And the wicked are warned to repent. And we have to pray that it will always stay this way. That in our preaching, we will always be faithful in both opening and closing the kingdom of God. I say this because there are many so-called churches which have strayed from the gospel. 
At one time they were true and faithful, but now they rarely preach the cross of Christ, and even more rarely do they preach sin and judgment. As they are no longer faithful, their key has been taken from them. Did you catch the phrase used by the catechism in its opening line? It says, preaching the gospel opens and closes the kingdom of heaven according to the command of Christ. According to the command of Christ. The keys of the kingdom were not invented by the writers of the catechism. The keys of the kingdom were not secret instruments or tools. The keys of the kingdom are not some human inventions. This teaching comes according to the command of Christ. It is Christ's command that the church open and close the kingdom by her preaching. Christ does not want a church that preaches only salvation. Nor does Christ want a church that preaches only judgment. Nor does Christ want a church that preaches neither of these. The church's goal is preaching the full counsel of God in both opening and closing the door of heaven. The response of the people on being warned about God's anger and judgment, people must repent of their sin and evil. On being told about the cross and grave of Christ, people must come to him in faith and belief. For it is only by repenting of sin and coming to Jesus that any sinner can enter the door of heaven. And if they don't, the door of heaven remains shut to them. The preaching of the gospel opens or closes the door to heaven. So tell me, do you repent and believe when you hear the gospel? Has the preaching of the gospel opened or closed the doors of heaven to you? And this brings us to the second aspect. It is beautifully clear from the story which follows the calling of Elisha that the Lord has the happiness of his children in mind. The men of Jericho come to Elisha. They tell him the situation of this city is pleasant, but the water is bad and the ground causes miscarriages. Twelve years or so ago, Jericho was rebuilt by Hyle. Hyle, the rebuilder of the walls, was then struck by a terrible curse. All his sons died. But now it appears that not only Hyle, but also the whole population is struck by that curse. What was happening to them was in direct opposition to the promises of the Lord. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. Exodus 23. At least when the people carefully listen to the Lord and do all what he says. But the Israelites hadn't done this. 
The days of Ahab, Elijah and Elisha were days of a serious falling away from God. And here in Jericho, it is then clearly demonstrated and pointed out that disobedience to God's word leads to death. And therefore, these men of Jericho turned to Elisha with great expectation. He has become the bearer of God's word. Through this word, life is healed. And this appears from the command which the men receive. Bring me a new bowl. Put salt in it. It must become clear that a miracle from God will take place. God heals life through the power of his word. That new bowl eliminates all superstitious thoughts. Besides, salt is not really the most suitable means to fix bad water. No, it must be clear to everyone, the word of the Lord restores life and health. Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. In response to the word of the Lord, that water is healed. It is a great and awesome happiness happening. It is Elisha's first official act in his service as prophet. The cleansing of the water of Jericho. Life in the city died because death was in the water. That water was healed by the word that Elisha spoke. In Jericho, the Lord reveals that he wants to use Elisha to free life from death in the realm of his kingdom. And the gospel grants deliverance to life. That gospel is our refuge. And the proclamation of the gospel opens the way to the treasures of God's kingdom for us. The Lord gives full restoration of life. He redeems your life through the word of his grace. And whoever does not want to listen to that word will not receive the treasures of God's kingdom then there will be no forgiveness of sins. Then there will be no redemption of life. Then there will be no place in the kingdom of God. Already now, he or she stands outside the boundaries of that kingdom. And it is therefore, now or never, deliverance or no deliverance, the deliverance of our lives only comes in the way of the preaching of the gospel and our daily repentance to God. And whoever is indifferent, whoever of you does not want to listen, is living in mortal danger. The entry gate is closed to you and you are standing on the outside and do not share in the treasures of Christ. You receive no deliverance from God. Of course, the Lord doesn't desire this. Yet God judges according to our response to the gospel. If we no longer take God's word seriously and do not seek asylum with him, then we are the most miserable of all men. 
God himself takes his word extremely seriously. It is only when that word of God is accepted in faith that you will enter the kingdom of God. There is no way to enter. No one can therefore say, I will wait a while longer. I do not want to humble myself before God now. There is enough time for me to repent and turn to God. I will do it later on. Do not forget this. There will be no later on for you. Let no one be indifferent like Esau. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing after all, he was rejected. For then he found no place for repentance, even though he thought it with tears. Hebrews 12, 17. Let us leave like a child who continually pricks up his ears. Then his father, yes, also his father in heaven speaks and reveals to us the treasures of his kingdom. Let us be like a child that hangs unto the lips of his father. Let us teach our children the language of our Father in heaven so that our children will also enter into the kingdom of God and share in the inheritance. Then you need not ask whether there is any forgiveness for you, even though you would have committed all the sins in the whole world. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for the forgiveness of all those sins. With his deliverance, he seeks the happiness of all his subjects. And then no one needs to exalt himself above others. That is even impossible. As someone once said to the minister, if my neighbor gets into heaven, I do not want to be there. Whereupon the minister had to answer very clearly, well, as you think like that about your neighbor, you will certainly have little chance of meeting him in heaven later, for you will not be there. Well, through his gospel, God makes the happiness of his subject in his kingdom perfect and complete. Whoever confesses his sins and departs from them is granted asylum in God's kingdom in accordance with the direction pointed out by the gospel. When a policeman stands at the crossing with his arms spread out, does this mean that only one single car or one cyclist is allowed to pass through? No. All the traffic going in that same direction is allowed to pass on. When Christ hangs on the cross without stressed arm, is only that respected man or that old lady allowed to come to him? No. Everyone is allowed to flee to God and receive asylum in his kingdom on the basis of the blood of Christ. It is good that you think little of yourself. But please, 
have big thoughts about Jesus Christ. Have big thoughts about his work. Think big thoughts about the deliverance he grants you in his gospel. Think big about his power to save you. Yes, even you. And this brings you to the third aspect. We usually speak about two keys, keys of the kingdom of heaven. The proclamation of the gospel and church discipline. The Bible, however, does not say how many there are. It only speaks of keys in the plural. And the plural expresses the all-encompassing character of the power which God has placed in the hands of man. And yet it is good that the Gerasimian speaks about a second key. And the second key actually also revolves around the gospel. Around the gospel. Church discipline. It is really no more than preaching the gospel. The gospel opens up the kingdom in the first place. The church discipline, the second key, another aspect of God's care for his congregation, receives the primary attention. In protection. For God's people. Church discipline closes the borders of the kingdom. And whoever does not take any notice of the admonitions of the gospel, well, that man or woman is excluded from the kingdom of Christ by God himself. God's word can also be deadly. This is apparent from the time when Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, goes up from Jericho to Bethel. A large group of small boys from Bethel mock him. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And this is not a case of an everyday name-calling session like when children call out carrots on seeing a redhead as they did when I was young. This is a more serious situation. There in Bethel, they were where worship of the golden calf flourishes, and the inhabitants, for the greater part, have set their hearts upon serving this calf. There in Bethel, this group defies the young prophet. They have learned it at home. Behind the boys, you see their parents, who practice their self-willed form of religion there in Bethel. And the boys set themselves up against the word of God, of whom Elisha is the prophet. And they declare that the prophetic word of God is of little importance for life. They challenge the prophet. See, your word is not dangerous at all. It can do nothing. Now in this Old Testamentic situation, the Lord allowed his servant to administer the keys of the kingdom. Whereas God's kingdom opened up in Jericho, bringing happiness to the inhabitants there, here the prophet speaks the word, and it appears that that word is not without power to hurt. Upon the curse of Elisha, two female bears come out of the woods and mal 42 of the boys. In one instant, they are shut out of the Christian congregation and the kingdom of Christ, by God himself. And the parents too are struck by these deaths. 
in his gospel and in the administration of discipline, in accordance with that gospel, the Lord involves a bodyguard for the protection of his congregation. He does not allow his gospel to become a target for mockery, not with words, nor with deeds, like when you do not pay any attention to his word. When there is salvation to be obtained in the kingdom of God, and so escape from the wrath of God, then this salvation should be protected. And the power of sin is still a reality. But sin may not get a chance to rule within God's kingdom. It disrupts the peace within the kingdom and breaks down the relationship and communion between those people who seek salvation. Whoever persists in sin will ultimately be placed under the borders of the, outside the borders of the kingdom. His visa will be cancelled. And therefore, in order to keep the work of Satan outside the gate, we must resist sin in our own lives and watch over our brothers and sisters. If your hand or your foot tempts you to sin, cut it off and throw it in the fire. Put the knife into your life and sin enters. And whoever sees his brother or sister sinning must seek to win his brother or sister with wisdom and patience, privately. And if there is no repentance, then the resistance movement against sin must be set into motion. If sin is allowed to fester, the whole congregation is threatened. And in the end, they will even be banned from the congregation. Not because anyone begrudges them Christ's deliverance, not at all. For if there is repentance and real amendment, the borders of the kingdom are once again open to them. But the gates of Hades may not and shall not prevail against the congregation. Let us impress, impress this upon our hearts. Even when according to the direction pointed out in Scripture, an admonishing word about your doctrine or life must be spoken, or perhaps discipline must be exercised. Do not neglect to break with sin, for of such is the kingdom of God. Then we may be firmly assured that God will grant us Christ's deliverance and that he will give the strength to fight against any remaining weaknesses. For those who believe in the gospel, there is a place in the kingdom of God. There is salvation forever. Amen.